Digital entrepreneurs, get ready to stop dreaming and start doing. Here, ideas become action. We prioritize purpose and profit. You ready? Let's go. All right. Welcome, Emily Taylor, to the Purpose and Profit Club podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Excellent. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about what you do. And I want to know also how you came up with your business name because I love it. I love even the way that that it's lowercase and uppercase. So you're the principal at Teeny Big. So tell us all about that, the work you do. Sure. So at Teeny Big, I focus on strategic listening for nonprofits. Um, and just in other words, what that is, is, is qualitative research. And so I help organizations better understand their data by talking to people, understanding different aspects of their audience, uh, but also doing some of the cool things that you can do when you're actually talking to people uh, versus just building analytics on them, um, where we get to get ideas in front of them, we get to talk about their thoughts and feelings, and really dig deep down to help make strategic decisions for your organization. Oh, and then for the name. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So I I gave myself a challenge when I was starting a business. I, I come from a design background. And I know I could spend forever coming up with a logo and a name and and sort of the branding things behind it. So I gave myself 45 minutes to come up with something. And um, in that process, Teeny Big really rose to the top because I I like the aspect of zooming in and out on a particular challenge. So we can understand things by really looking at the big picture and trends. But also, you know, zooming in and understanding what individual people are, you know, decisions people are making and, you know, detailed data points that can help us see the full picture rather than just coming in from where we usually view a challenge. I love that. So it's like the micro macro, right? That yeah. kind of that play. I, I'm always thinking like, wait, let's look at another perspective. To, to yeah. Oh, on. I love that. And I also love, I feel like you and I have some similarities in the way that we think. And that's probably why I was drawn to you when I heard you, I think on our friend Cindy's podcast. And I was like, Ooh, she's talking about data, but she's talking about it in a very, like in a way that makes sense to me. And that's, that's one of the things that right away, when I had to come up with my business name, Splendid Consulting, I also, I gave myself, although I wasn't that, that, disciplined. I was sunsetting and closing one company and opening up a new one. And I gave myself a week to make the decision on everything. So I gave myself seven days. So, because the same thing, because we can go into decision fatigue on logos and names and fonts. I'm an an idea generator and I have to give myself (laughs) limitations to stop. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Awesome. I love that. All right. So we're going to dive into one of the things that you and I talked about when we initially met, which is you do come from the for-profit world like I do. And that's kind of what the lens you bring to nonprofits. Tell us about that. Sure. So I spent a lot of my career um, in design research and product development in the for-profit world. So a lot in packaging. And okay. the analogy that I like to bring in that is, is a, a package. I didn't, you know, you get a perfume bottle, a shampoo mac and cheese, all that stuff, the package has to tell you what's inside. And and I think we're packaging things all the time. And so I, I think it was just a good analogy. Um, but we also, you know, for-profit companies do a ton of research um, in order to understand why people buy things, in order to mm-hmm. kind of persuade them 
to buy things. And so I think there's a lot of those lessons I've been tweaking and working into the nonprofit world. Like what comes up for you when you think about like either those lessons or like, Ooh, I wish, I wish that my nonprofits, I wish that nonprofits would think of things this way or do this extra due diligence. Like what comes up for you as some, some low hanging fruit? I think one, I, this is low hanging fruit, but like the big nugget. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Big giant ripe fruit. Yeah. (laughs) Giant fruit. The whole tree um, is, you know, in the for-profit world, they're always looking for the, the white space you know, what is the area, the uncharted area where people just need this candle in their home or, you know, whatever is like missing from their lives. Yeah. And, you know, that to me doesn't feel good to like bring a new product into somebody's life. But when we think of it in a nonprofit space, rather than using research to see what's been done before and what worked for these other things to go out and talk to people and understand like what's missing from their lives? What can your nonprofit do to help, you know, partner with them and and sort of fill some of those emotional needs, but also, you know, just like help them, you know, everyone wants to be a better person. And I think really understanding how people are thinking about your particular nonprofit's issue can help you find that white space for stuff you haven't tried before. Maybe it's a new event, maybe it's a Mm -hmm. new campaign. And I think that sort of you know, campaign research uh, or event research can can really lead to some new ideas that break through. Okay, so you said something really important, which is like some you said something you haven't tried before. And one of the pieces that a lot of organizations get stuck in is we haven't tried this before, so maybe we shouldn't. Maybe it will cost too much. Maybe it won't go well. But this other thing we've been doing over here, we've been doing it and. No, maybe it's working okay, but at least it's cozy and safe and I know what it's going to cost us and let's just keep doing that. So, so talk about that, that, I don't know if that's a mindset piece or what, what would you say to that? Like sort of that, yeah. that d- well, dilemma. I mean, in our world, like, especially, you know, current world, like everyone is vying for attention. And yep. so if you're going to do the same thing over and over, it's going to, you know, it's not going to get as much attention. And I, I was, I was kind of like, when I think about this, I think of the statistic that you're most likely to get into an accident within a mile of your home. Um, and part of it's because you, you're seeing all the same things over and over again, and your brain just stops seeing them anymore. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. And so if we're doing the same type of event, if we're showing the same, talking about our challenges in the same way, they just kind of get, you know, put into people's sort of like back burner yep. their mind. It's not that they don't care, but it's, it's just, um, they're like, oh yeah, that. And then I've, yep. I've experienced that. And so if we're able to bring in new ideas, it just draws people's attention. Um, you know, we don't want to do new ideas just for the sake of them. But yeah. um, if you don't do new ideas, you're going to fall to that back burner. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I've heard somebody talk about like, nobody, you don't think about going to pour a glass of water because you go pour a glass of water. I go to the fridge, I press the button, the water comes out. I'm doing that while I'm thinking about something else. Right. But the, but if I'm, if I'm doing something for the first time, I'm very in it or even the second or third time, it's like got my attention. And it is a little bit of organizations talking about their mission or talking about an upcoming fundraiser or something as if they're pouring a glass of water. They're using the same words. They're having the same event. They're swapping out like the date and the time, but that's about it. And 
from the donor, supporter, consumer point of view, that's going to be really hard to get our attention the 10th year, the fifth year, yeah. right? And it's one thing if you, you know, if you have people on a monthly donor list and you don't really have, you, you it's on the back burner mind, but people are still making those, those, um, that support, you know, then, then you can leave it in the back burner. But if you need to increase something, it's gotta, you know, you gotta kind of refresh. You gotta be able to strike something in people's minds that's new and different. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you can use listening to gain new donors. Cause that is, that's something that's really interesting to me that you're like, I feel like a master listener. So talk to us about that and what that looks like. Yeah. Like what is listening and walk us through that process. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, we got a lot, a lot to unpack there. So, you know, what, what listening is just in like, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, depending on the scale of people you want to listen to the type of people you want to listen to, but I'll, I'll talk specifically about new donors. Yeah. Um, is that you, you mentioned that. And so, you know, one of the things to look at is um, when I listen, is I try to focus in on who are you listening to? Um, so sometimes people, you know, might think about their audience in terms of generationally, um, mm-hmm. you know, older donors, younger donors. Um, you might look at geographically, you know, do you have sort of local people or, or people who are further out or, or maybe it's through media channels and the way you're mm-hmm really marketing to people or sending out mailers or doing things in person. And so when you think about a new donor, like let's say it's younger donors. I know a lot of organizations, and I talked about this on Cindy's podcast, so like donors, their average donor age just keep going up one, you know, one a year every year. Yep. yep. Um, and so they need younger donors. And so what I would want to do is listen to like, what are your youngest donors? you know, how they connected with you, um, how did they get to first donate? And then maybe you can go beyond that and find um, what I typically call the lurkers, you know, the people that are, um, maybe could potentially be those younger donors. Maybe they're people in a younger age range, below your average, but they haven't donated. And so understanding them and why um, they care about your organization enough to to lurk around. Um, How do you know they're a lurker? Like what, what how do you know they're a lurker? Um, well, I would say a lurker is are people who are um they are connected to your organization, but they haven't yet taken an action that you'd like them to take. So they might be um on your email list but haven't donated. They yeah. might be following your social media, but they haven't attended an event. It kind of is up to you to define that, but they they um have not committed to doing anything yet. <laughs> so I can hear like a million little or executive directors in my ear right now go, well, well, okay. Yes, they exist. We've got lots of them on Instagram following us and lots of them on our email list, but like, what do I do? How do I get them to take action? How do I get them like from lurker to donor? What is that? It feels like, you know, what is that jump? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's understanding why they care and what they're doing so far. So, yeah. you know, I'll, that, that's sort of why, like, understand the people who have already taken the action. Let's say, you know, let's say younger donors for you are, you know, 25 to 40 year olds. Um, yep. You can talk to those people within your donor group that mm-hmm. are already committed there, you know, the, they'll be willing to, a few of them will be willing to talk to you. And then also just, you know, go out on social media and say, hey, can I, you know, fill out this short survey? 
you know, would you be willing to talk to me for 15 minutes? And then you sort of under, start to understand, well, I guess then the, this is the, the, the more drawn out process of, of my work is like really trying to figure out the questions you need to under, understand why they haven't taken an action. So why do they care about the work that you do? How did they find out about you? Mm-hmm. Uh, where else do they donate? Um, just to understand their behaviors, um, mm-hmm. for generosity. Um, mm-hmm. so the stories and motivations that attract, uh, them to your work. And so you can start to paint that kind of before and after picture, mm-hmm. and see some gaps of like, well, how, how can we get these people to do this action? Do you find that it's like usually one, one or two kind of main themes on why they haven't, or is, does it depend on the organization? Like I'm thinking, yeah, it's like understanding who they are and their motivation. Cause they're in your world for a reason, assuming they're opening your emails, assuming they're liking your social, social posts, but they haven't taken action. Okay. So the marketer in me goes, well, where's the friction? Like, is it too hard for them to make a donation? Are they clicking through too much and you've lost them? Do they not really understand the urgency? Is it messaging? You know, things like that. So does there tend to be a common reason or what do you see through that? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I think it's a a lot of those types of things. So it might be, um, you know, going back to sort of those new ideas. It might be that, you know, the story that you're telling is just something they've maybe heard too much of. They've, you know, it's been the uh-huh. neighborhood they've been driving around too often. So it might just yeah. be the fresh, fresh start. Um, it can be accessibility. It can be um, the way, you know, the way you're describing the need. Um, a lot of times I find, you know, since we're talking about older and younger donors, generationally, people think about problems in different ways. And I know there's a lot of trends about, you know, younger, younger generations wanting to feel more a part of it. Of yep. part of the organization. So I think understanding how they see themselves playing a part of it, or even just giving how they can give feedback, um, can make them feel more close to an organization. Um, and have you found that to be true? Like that statistic, I feel like that data is there that younger, younger generations really want to be a part of something. Like they want to be a part of a community. They want to be part of social change in a way that's very different from an older generation and their why on why they give. So in your work, have you found that like, yeah, that seems to be true. You know, I, they're also the most, you know, sought after for attention generation too. So you have to, it, you have to earn that, um, you know, that attention uh, or that, uh-huh, that uh-huh. relationship. Um, but yeah, I think there's things like when I think back to projects I've done around younger generations, it's, you know, it is, it's language. Are you using mm-hmm. strong enough language to connect with what they're thinking and feeling? Um, are you um, I mean, doing things in a different way that feels like, um, you know, maybe if people build some skepticism over why things haven't changed in the past, are you addressing yep. things in new ways? Um, and then as far as involvement, you know, a lot of people are more used to having a voice now. And so to be able to, even if it's just give feedback, that is involvement. Yeah. So to be able to say, well, you know, I work in the tech industry and I see these kind of things working 
in the for-profit world to be able to give that feedback, um, even if it's not necessarily right for your organization, uh, is is a strong participation point for um, for the younger generation. But I, there are, you know, kind of like overarching themes in younger generations. But to also understand what's true for your specific audience is also helpful because every every sector is a little different. You know, yep. the way you attract people is a little different, um, and so you want to combine those two things with specifics you know from your work I feel like that's overarching what I've heard from you that I really really like which is like there is the data and there is also you being in the organization and having your 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 own experience with your community and using that too as data like to inform your next steps to inform right what 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 your next strategy is okay so I'm going to move on and let's talk about this idea of experience mapping and cultivation. Tell us what that is and why it's important. Hey, Changemaker, the Purpose and Profit Club coaching program is open now and you can save $1,000 for a limited time. Now I'm running Outreach Genius live during the month of May. This is my prospecting and outreach sprint We've had organizations upgrade donors and get $125,000 gifts after one session of this program. We've had organizations boldly ask for more, boldly prospect, cultivate brand new revenue streams, whether it's partners, sponsors, ambassadors, or individual donors. You need to be inside. If you want more information, go to splendidcourses.com forward slash club. So experience mapping is is really thinking about people's overall experience with your organization. So like when I was talking about lurkers before, there's yeah. an initial awareness of what you do. They might decide to follow you and all that before they take an action. And then, you know, there's sort of probably different levels within your organization where someone can go from, you know, volunteering or making a donation to, to being more and more engaged uh-huh. uh, in your work. When we think about that bigger uh, or that first initial part, if you're not really, if you're just kind of treating everybody the same, um, you, you're probably not cultivating people and kind of hitting them in the right moment with the right information. And so I, I think, you know, I give the analogy of like learning to play the guitar. You're not, a teacher is not going to just come in and give you like a big complicated, you know, Van Halen riff to to try to learn first. You're gonna like learn something simple, something exciting, yeah. and and work um, and slowly build up those skills. And so, in the same way, you know, when you want to bring new people in your organization, having copy statistics, having you know, kind of just really kind of catchy stories mm-hmm. that that might not feel like super in depth about your um, but your mission are just important just to grab people's attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you can do that, then you can start to draw them in more and more to really understand the work that you're doing. And I'm not saying, you know, to lie or fake anything, but you just want, you know, there are things that are catchier about what you do and we'll, we'll start to bring people in. Um, oh, a hundred percent. It's feeling like giving, especially the new people who are still really in that, that nurture phase, like at a glance. So somebody who isn't going to read everything 
that you send them. Somebody isn't going to dive into that, that long story or that long form, whatever, to give them some at a glance of, of what your organization does, right? Some social proof that it works. I am always somebody who skims. So it's like, if I just skimmed your email or I skimmed something, what could I get out of it that I would be like, Ooh, that's interesting. I want to come back for more. That's the piece that you're talking about with, with some of those newbies, right? Yeah. I think of those like too long, don't read little snippets. Yeah. 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 The things it's like, what is that out of it? Um, Cause yeah, the first thing you need is to just get people to remember who you are. And what are the people, what about the people who they know who you are? They've been supporting you. What do they need? Like, what do they need? And, in, you know, they've, they've been in it. They've been in your world for years. Like, what is it that we can do better on that they're not already getting? Yeah. And that's so, so as we, as people move up that ladder, you don't just want yeah. them to stay static. It's like right. the more you can move um, up in engagement, the better. And so this is, you know, again, where I think it's nuanced to the organization, but, but just to, to think it through, you know, perhaps you have some regular donors, but you'd like them to increase the level that they're donating on an annual basis. That starts to get to be like helping them understand the need. Um, and then, you know, they might know more about your work. So you can go more in depth with them that yeah. you can tell them, um, the, you know, the policy work that you're doing that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but is, is not for, you know, the, the lurkers that they, they don't quite understand. The skimmers. Yeah. 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 And so, um, you know, you could do more in depth stories behind the scenes. I think being able to like give people a little video or, or some kind of more intimate information can help make them, you know, one, understand the need better and why there's an increase, like if they mm-hmm. increase the donation, why it would help them. But it also gives them, you know, as we're talking about younger generation, I think this is everybody just to be able to, you know, have a little bit of vulnerability. Um, yeah. Bring them more closely, you know, feel more close to your work. So I love that you you brought that up. That's something. So I built this, I taught this new email marketing course live earlier this year. And in that first cohort, a lot of what we talked about, we had a lot of EDs, but we also had kind of marketers and comms folks in there was this idea of like really starting to weave in your own personality and your own point of view. And, and it's not all the highlight reel and, and weaving that into your messaging and your email content. And a lot of organizations don't do that, right. Of like, it's not, they're, they're not, they're not letting people know about the the challenges or everything's very, very high level and very like glossy and buttoned up. And so can you give us permission to like, <laughs> to be vulnerable and, and from, from your lens, why is that important? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's just the, um, again, this, this is a trend um, and not necessarily right for everybody, but you know, to be, I think the more you can show how human you are, um, yeah. you know, when we think about, um, you know, I, I, because I come from the for-profit world, I try to think of comparisons because, you know, most of your donors are not in the nonprofit world. Um, and so like, you know, if they would invest in a, you know, a Kickstarter or some sort of, you know, entrepreneurial, you don't necessarily expect them to win all the time. Like, yeah, there is, 
there is sort of that that challenge that they're up against as an entrepreneur um, that you know you're kind of buying into that process and like how are they going to solve this problem? What mm-hmm. are they going to do? Can they? And so I try to like think about that when it comes to nonprofits too. Of you know you are trying to solve a problem that no one can solve. That is why you know that's why you really so yeah you knew exactly how to solve it that you you probably wouldn't be you know, the, the issue wouldn't be needed. Um, and so to realize, you know, not only help people understand, but to also when you talk to people, think about that, you know, what you're up against and, and helping people buy into that challenge. What's some new way you're, you know, you're going to solve it or how do you know or feel that like the, the way that you're solving this challenge is the best way. And, and what did you learn? What mistakes were made and what did you learn along the way? That's sort of, um, you know, again, when we talk for people feeling more part of your organization, like getting them in that process, they don't necessarily have to be there, but to like help them understand that process um, can just buy them into your methodology for meeting your mission. And that's really, I feel like what gives organizations an edge is when they tell the truth, right? When they talk about that, you know, there's more than one most likely organization that does what you do, right? Mm-hmm. So if you talk about it in a really generic way, it's not really going to sound much different than everybody else. But when you talk about your journey or your personal experience or what's going on with your organization today, now you've got a little bit of an edge and I'm identifying with that story and I'm I'm, I'm much more engaged than I might be if it was just more kind of generic. Yeah, let's, like, life, let's, lifestyle too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So last year you gave this talk about prototyping and thoughtful courage. Tell us about that. And I want to dig into that. Yeah, I've, I've, this whole conversation, I've been wanting to go over it because one of the things yeah, I'm trying to empathize with the listeners as well is like, well, how do you, how do you know, how do you know what to do? Um, you, know, you can talk to people, then what do you do with that information? How do you know? Yeah to move people along that engagement path. And so path. Um, so one of those ways is through prototyping and, and testing. So um, this is something done a ton in the for-profit world where, you know, you come up with, you, you figure out what people might need. You bring some ideas of, of how that might come to life um, mm-hmm. models or pictures, and then you share those with people and get their feedback on them. And um you can do the same in the nonprofit sector. So, you know, let's say you're trying to turn those younger workers into donors. Um, and, you know, you talk to some people, you, you can see these differences between the younger donors and the younger lurkers. Well, you might not know exactly what it's going to take. Um, so you can rotate ideas. You can, um, you know, send different emails out. You can put some different campaigns together and show them to people. And I don't mean a whole campaign. I mean, a headline and a paragraph, some photos, uh, just something quick. Yep. I did my 45 minute uh, uh, brand name challenge. Um, You can put together something quick and get them in front of people. And it allows you to um, have that courage of an entrepreneur, like, trying something new without having to blast your whole email list with it to like yes. you just see how do people react do they understand it do they maybe think like oh that totally reminds me of this horrible thing 
um, that I experienced in my life. So don't go down that route. You can, you can work out some of those mistakes um, thoughtfully, but still trying new things and moving in that direction where you're getting people's attention and getting them to take action. So this is like a digital focus group. I'm thinking of kind of like that. Do they know they're a focus group? Are they like, does that make sense? Or is this like sending a small segment of your audience, like a, like a test for a campaign? There, you could do all. Um, okay. So I'll just give a few examples of what it might look like. Like it could be as simple as, you know, sort of like a small AB email. Yeah, totally. Um, two different versions, send it out, see who. You know, I've done that as a marketer before. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I don't know what to call this workshop. Let's AB test it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's really straightforward. You get the real action people are taking and you can learn from that. Um, you don't always know why, like what exactly yeah. it was. Um, and and you can't really like test complex things. You can sort of test like a little, you know, a picture so, of a, or a different That's thing. right. That's a great tip is don't make A completely different than B. Otherwise we didn't really A, B yeah. test, right? Um, yeah. Another way is you can, you know, I've done surveys where we put together four different ads for um for an organization so it was just sort of like pulling out different marketing ideas like one was about um the family that the organization was based on one was more about the history um in the neighborhood that the organization was in and we just brought these to life with literally just you know seven words and a picture mm-hmm. um, and then through the survey we're able to ask people questions about it. Um, and another way might be that you, um, I've also done things where we we just put together a pretend web page and something really simple, like using mm. a use a Squarespace template and yep. just, you know, put a button in a different spot and, and then show them to people and just watch them use it. Yep. So they, they go, so those are just a few different ways. There's, you know, hundreds of ways to prototype, but um, that's just ways you can start to see how people use things versus just asking them how they might feel about it. And then also observe them and see, you know, what what are, what are some unexpected things that you are seeing in their interaction with that that new idea. I feel like almost not no nonprofits do this. Like I'm thinking of the scene, I don't know if you watch Silicon Valley, from HBO. Like, oh my gosh. So it's all about startups and Silicon Valley. And there's this, they kind of like refer back to it through many seasons, but there's this like focus group. So whether it's a new app or some sort of functionality piece, they're always bringing people back into the room and it's, you know, a group of people. And sometimes it's just young people. Sometimes it's different age groups. And then there's like, kind of like the, um, police station mirror. So there's the actual founders behind the mirror watching and they're getting madder and madder and madder that the focus group isn't getting their amazing tech. But it's like, that is the, that is the data you need to know before you go put a bunch of money behind it is where did people get stuck? Why don't they like the functionality or why do they love that little web page where you put the donate button over here or that image really stuck with them and feel like, I don't, I don't really see that happening too much. So I love like there's that, that is such a great idea that it's not about doing it in the most complex way. This is something really simple. We could, we could test, right. And we can ask for feedback for. Yeah. I, I would say it's pretty 
it's definitely new in the nonprofit world. I see it a little more in associations or, um, or, or healthcare, where yeah. they're used to um, getting feedback uh, from organizations. But I think the, the thing I really like to push is, you know, there's, I've, I've attended plenty of those, you know, behind the mirror sessions in the past. Uh, yeah, and they, they add up, you know, you're, you're at a facility, you're talking to lots of people, you're giving them incentives, you're making a plan. And you can, you know, you can do that, but you can also just call people up and yes. Yeah. Do it, do it in an organized way. Um, That's right. Know, have a list of questions, know what you're trying to figure out um, and everything in between. And so it's really trying to write, right size your resources with what you want to learn. That's right. So don't take what I just said and be like, Christina said, I need to find a focus group in person and have the mirror. And no, that's not what we're saying. Like, yes, do it with the resources and time you have. And there is a way that everybody could do this. And you just touched on my next question, which is how do you know when you should survey a group versus interview a group? So you were just talking about like, you know, just call them up. And so what is that because because you do both. And so talk to us about that process. And I'm somebody who I survey my audience quite a bit. And so I feel like I know the like challenges and the benefits of surveys. So let's dig into that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have some, um, I have some uh, pieces on that I can send to your audience, send for your audience as well. Um, because it is, it is a challenge. So surveys um, are really good if you want to reach a wider variety of people in a with a shallower amount of information. So, yep. you know, if you want to kind of, you know, understand how they generally feel about something, um, preferences for things, um, you know, I always love to have a few open-ended questions to talk about, yeah. you know, past, just things that you might not even know to ask. It's great to just have an open-ended area for venting, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, this helps you get you know, get those things that, that you don't know to ask. Um, and so surveys can be really good for that. Um, and then interviews are really helpful for understanding what you don't know. So, you know, people are, you know, um, so it might be really hard to do a survey about why aren't you donating? Um, mm-hmm. Because people just aren't thinking about it. <laughs> That's not a question people even ask themselves, right? So if you were to like put that in a survey, in some weird, like they wouldn't know, yeah. right? What so we need to donate more. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. So we need an interview to dig into um, the why behind that, right? To dig into the yeah. motivation, to dig into some of the objections. So keep going. Tell us. Yeah. And, and I think with interviews, kind of another is like, you have to know who you want to interview. So if you, you know, let's say you're not trying to increase your donors, but you don't really know which, um, what kind of subset of people. Mm-hmm would like to focus on is survey can help you figure some of that out. Okay. Uh, you know, you can sort of put some determiners about age or location, and then you can sort of look at how people, different people answered. And yeah. interview, you want to know, you, you don't just want to blanket interview 15 random people. You want to talk to people who fit, um, fit the demographic or fit the criteria of what you're trying to learn about. Um, so you can dive dive deeper um, into that segment. So I'm going to give an, uh, an example, like an organization I work with, they have a, a decent sized donor base that are either 
doctors are nurses because of what they do, right? Not all. So they could dig into that subset of nurses and get some data because a, a, a question they might be answering is, okay, we've had these core group of doctors and nurses who work in the medical field, and maybe they work in the medical field in this location, right? How do we get more of them is my favorite question, right? How do we get more of them? So is that something we could use an interview to help uncover? Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, one of the, I think a lot of times people feel like interviews, well, you're only talking to a few people. How do you really know that you're learning something about yeah. that whole group? Um, and one of the statistics that come out of a lot of qualitative for-profit research is that if you can talk to five specific people, you get, you can get 80% of the information you're looking for. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of stipulations to that, but the more that doesn't mean five random people off the street. The more you can talk to, you know, that subset of doctors and nurses, and maybe yep. we separate nurses and doctors. Yep. And that, depending on the topic. Um, but if you talk to them, you can, you know, it starts to level out of like how many people you talk to versus how much information you gather. Um, and so, you know, you'll you'll learn a lot just from talking to five to ten people within, you know, that sort of tight segment. And in- in that conversation, I'm I'm thinking like I had two thoughts like at once. One was, okay, well, what are the best questions to answer? Ask them. And then my next thought was maybe it's just more about listening and getting them to talk and just hearing about why they're involved in the organization to begin with. And, and maybe that's where like the, through the conversation, that is the data. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and that's I I I know people ask me a lot, like, what's the best questions to ask? And I, I, um, I do feel like, you know, it's depending on, you want to know what yeah. you want to learn first, focus on that. But yeah, getting people to talk about their, you know, when we talked about that engagement map, get, get them to talk about their own experience with those stages. How did they yeah. first hear about you? What got them to, you know, stay engaged, but maybe not yep. in- Act, what got them to sort of take that next level step. Um, and you're going to start to learn a lot about that, you know, why your organization matters to them. And then if you want to share them with them some new ideas, like, you know, these are some things you're thinking about. I don't, you know, I wouldn't take everything they say at face value, but just get yeah. like, does it make sense? Does yeah. it, is it motivating for them? Do they have questions? And then, you know, you will learn you'll start to find patterns in those people's experiences um, and how they comprehend new ideas. Yeah. I love that. I want to give people permission to number one, like have these interviews, do it imperfectly and do it from a, a curiosity place versus like have to know the right questions so I can get the right thing from them. So then I can find more people like them versus like you just said of like, Find out what what their own donor journey was like or their own experience map was like, and then just have a conversation and then invite them into maybe what you're working on or what you're thinking about. And if you do that five times, I'm totally with you. You're gonna have you're gonna have some really excellent data on next steps. And you're also gonna have five really beautiful conversations of newly stewarded, you know, donors in a way that they hadn't been before. So they're gonna feel more connected to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think there's definitely some watch outs of like, you don't want to let one person's strong opinion overshadow. You really want to look for patterns. Yes. Uh, 
you know, take out some of those extremes. But, you know, at the, at the very, very, very least, you, you'll, you, what you want is expand your bubble. Yes. Like yes. all this work in close organizations that can talk to each other. And if you can't sort of see outside of that and how different groups of people may comprehend or understand your work, you're not necessarily going to know how to reach them. So I want to jump back to surveys for a second. And number one is, is there any way to incentivize that? This is total, uh, what's it called question? It's going to serve me to incentivize (laughs) self-serving question, how to get people to fill out surveys. So So here's, here's kind of my survey framework is I try and keep the number of questions short so that I'm not like giving them, you know, 20 questions. I try and give them like five questions um, within a, a room to, to speak their mind to with um, that piece. But is there any way to get people, more people to fill out surveys? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I just listened to a really great podcast, Adam Grant on incentives. I love Adam and, Grant. Okay. And, um, and it was really, cause you know, they talked about, um, you know, incentives and how there's sort of like, there's sometimes like social pressure incentives. There's wanting to be a good person. Yep. Uh, but then there's also like, oh, I get, you know, I get an Amazon gift card. Yep. Sure. I'll yep. get, you know, something I've been wanting. Um, and that sometimes when they combine the two, it actually decreased. Uh, oh, okay. You know, so, um, so, you know, if you really want to get into it, like there's, I guess the uh, the real trick is there's no way of knowing exactly what yeah. will perfectly incentivize people. Um, and so you could test it out if you really yep. Usually when I do surveys, that's sort of a, a big ask to, to test out an incentive beforehand. Um, and so I really just believe in like, you know, having, a, having at least some kind of, you know, monetary incentive that mm-hmm. is not going to influence the results Good um, point. Mm-hmm. that will like grab people's attention. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you do surveys all the time and you offer a hundred dollar gift card and you really want this survey to stand out, maybe it needs to be a little bit more. Um, but then I also believe in just getting, just getting people's attention. So, um, you know, at least three reminders for a survey. Thank you. Okay. I was like reminders, 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 but you just added an extra reminder. So that's amazing that you said three. So like everyone, she said three reminders. That I mean, means go. three. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I've told a story before. It took 10 reminders for me to order photos for my daughter's like preschool, 10. Yeah. It was like email, text, email, text. And finally the 10th one, I was like, I got to order those photos. Yeah. I mean, think of the thing that like you can, is like the bottom of your to-do list, Yep. what it would take to, to take action on that. And that is what you need to do because, you That's know, my to-do list, <laughs> right down there, take a survey. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and not just reminders, like why, why is it important? Like, why do we That's need right. your feedback? Um, you know, kind of what's, what's in it for you, even That's if right. it's just to make the world a better place. Um, you know, so those kind of things I, I feel like are super important to get people to fill the survey because you know, first they have to open up the reminder. Mm-hmm. And then once it's open, they gotta click on the survey. And so, you know, you really gotta try a few different angles. Um, you know, I know there's sometimes where I just don't see them. It's like, oh yeah, another survey, another survey. But 
if you can get, you know, try a few different headlines so it doesn't seem like you're just, you know, asking the same question over and over. Yeah. And it's like, no one wants to fill out a survey, but they do want to give you their input on this thing that they care about too. So it's even just the way you package and position the actual survey itself so that they feel like, you know, they're either a part of something or that they're helping, they're part of some, they're helping you or, right. So it's not just the call to action, fill out the survey. Er, We can probably do better than that too. Yeah. And and I will say the other thing that can help, and this is sort of the long-term view is, is giving people feedback. So if you, Mm. if people fill out your survey and that you, they never hear from you again, um, they're going to think twice about the second survey. I wish I had had some like great statistics on this, but um, you know, like I think all of us can relate to it when you hear, okay, these are some top line things we heard. This is action. You know, we're going to look into this because of this survey. Now you feel like, all right, I actually did something like I made a difference. And when you get asked to fill out a survey again, um, it's going to be a lot more exciting. This is no different. I call this like closing the story loop. So if you have a fundraiser for 50K and then you never tell us like, what, what did you, did you do it? What happened? Like if it was in a container of time, the campaign ends, close the loop. What happened? Tell me, you know, and it's the same thing, especially for surveys too. Yeah. If somebody went through the trouble of filling it out and sharing their input, like they don't want it to just go off into the universe. Having never heard back, we, we are now engaged. They went through it. So like, close the loop and tell us what happened or tell us what's next or just a little tidbit from it. Um, I think that's such a good, good piece. And I bet that when you do that, they're so much more compelled to do it again. Right. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just that build. It's a building trust. Yeah. All right. This has been such a great conversation. So before I ask you our final question, I'd love to know anything else that you would love our listeners to know or something that you're working on next. Oh, that's a good one. Well, you know, I, I love to have to connect with people on LinkedIn um, because that's where I'm just always putting all my ideas, testing my own uh, own things to see what's on people's minds and, you know, learn and go back and have some interaction. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of just like, in a, in a good, your LinkedIn is rocking and rolling. I gotta say, you've got a good LinkedIn game. We're going to link to that for sure. In the, in the show notes. So go hang out with her on LinkedIn. Um, Go ahead. Well, and you know, I've really been focusing on, on helping one, you know, helping people, helping organizations that have been maybe feeling a little loose and unguided over Mm -hmm. the pandemic to use listening as a way to help, you know, reset who they are and where they focus. Um, kind of as a pre-strategic planning, but then also that, you know, that kind of younger audience and really understanding some, some new spaces that organizations can go into. I love that. That is, that is one of the number one talked about, like wants, problems, needs is like cultivating that younger donor base. So I, it, it can feel I think it can just feel overwhelming, but if you start by just doing this listening, doing some surveying, doing some interviewing, I think that will help inform the next step. And it's just like one piece at a time, one step at a time and start with this. Yeah. I, you know, I just, if, if you're doing nothing, you're not learning anything. And so there you, go. you just gotta, you gotta start somewhere. It doesn't need to be, be a big, you know, multi, you know, just yes. huge 
research plan. It just, you just need to start learning about those that group. Love that. So last question we ask every guest on this podcast is one, what is one thought you like to think on purpose? And I like to think of this as it may be something that is an affirmation, a mantra, just something that you believe, but what's a guiding thought for you in, in your life? Let me see. I've, I've, uh, I've, I have all these post-it notes around, so I'm trying to figure out like, which Oh, good, one, good. Yes. Which one is the right one to, to talk about? Um, you know, I, I think this idea of, of creativity, um, so I have posted across for me, my, my mantra for this year, which is creative confidence. And, and I think sometimes in the nonprofit space, we think about creativity, uh, as like, you know, not a, not a best practice, not, um, something tried and true or trustworthy, but like to think creative is, is like what makes us humans and helps us connect with people. And so to be able to, um, just have some confidence in like the unknown and, and some new ideas uh, and using, you know, the stuff that I've been talking about, or we've been talking about this whole session of like, how do you then prove out some of those ideas? But I think there's like that um, idea, like if we're not creative, we're just not humans. And so like, let's figure out how to bring more of that to just make you know, make things special, make things connected and, um, you know, just to, to use it to solve problems. I love that. Yeah. Let's stand out. Let's not just do the same old thing. So that's beautiful. Thank you so much for today. Yeah. Thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. If you ask me, everyone should have a coach, especially you. I want to invite you to schedule a free discovery call with me Go to splendidatl.com forward slash contact. You'll see my calendar there. Book a call with me. You'll learn about my smart growth method where we can grow your business or organization sustainably with ease and massive impact. Think you've reached out to everyone in your network? Are you out of ideas to get noticed and get funded? I hear you. That's why I'm giving you a chance to steal my prospect list. Yes, you can generate leads for your nonprofit or impact-driven business. Grab my mini training and list delivered to your inbox instantly. Go to splendidcourses.com forward slash prospect.